0: I don't know what God has walked you through this week, but my suspicion is if your life is like mine, there are some things in your life, even as you came in this morning, that were not well. Um, just some things that had your heart troubled. And I hope that as we have sang these songs and um, shared these truths, that you believe that God is going to do something again in your life. And that uh, even for just a few moments today, maybe your spirit is at rest. And you can honestly say, it is well, it is well. Well, Tim is on stage here with me. This is Tim Nice. Uh, Tim has been speaking in our student ministry for a couple of years and I invited him to come and be a part of this series uh, with us this morning. Although I do have to tell you a, a little bit of story on Tim. Many of you know Tim filled in for me about a month ago when I was sick, but um, he actually preached my message so he 's like a little puppet up here. you know It was my words <laughs> and coming through his mouth but, uh, um, but uh, he did a great job and i 'm very grateful for him Finch hitting at the at eleventh the and a half hour for me that week but uh, Uh, invited Tim to come and present God's Word to you this morning and uh, continue our series entitled Never Forget. So would you welcome Tim
1: this morning? So great to have you. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you. I mentioned to a few people I don't know Last time I didn't have time to be nervous, but now I've had a month to actually put my thoughts together and my message together, and it's a little bit different, I have to be honest with you, but I'm glad to be here, I'm glad and I hope that as we look at Judges chapter 5 that, uh, that you're challenged by what we're about to talk about. Each fall, late September, early October, my family looks at the weather, and we look for a day in which we can make a mad dash to the beach one last time. The weather's got to be, it's got to be the perfect scenario, because I don't like doing things like this, under, unless the weather's going to be in the upper 70s, low 80s. I know, if you know, in September, October, the ocean water is still warm, and uh, we are usually about a month into school, the craziness of life has started, and we look for a way to play hooky, and go as a family, and enjoy uh, a day at the beach, one last time, pretending that it is still summer. Um, this past October, we went, and we, uh, we got to the beach, and we were really surprised as to the size of the waves. The waves were just enormous. They were six to eight feet tall. And, uh, you know, sometimes you go to the ocean, and if you've experienced six to eight-foot-tall waves, you know they, they are really powerful. And uh, it took us a few minutes to get accustomed to the strength of the waves. You know, a few of my kids, you know, got you know, uh, some sand burn going on, uh, just getting roughed up by the waves, and we realized that we really needed to go out into the water uh, as a family or, you know, as a few. We can't just go out by ourselves. And so our day that day, we were just enjoying the beautiful sun and enjoying the ocean. Uh, We were swimming in the water. We were throwing the football on the surf. We were playing some sand soccer, just having a great day. And about mid-afternoon, Um, I noticed that there was an elderly gentleman by the, I don't know, maybe mid to upper 70s or early 80s that decided that he was going to try to go boogie boarding. So right away I'm like, oh my word. And I was in the water and and we had actually made it past the breakers. And so we were in the water uh, and uh, we were just kind of rolling with the waves and I noticed this gentleman making his way into the surf. And I had just a couple seconds to say, hey guys, let's make our way in. And so we started making our way in and I started to head toward this man, knowing that in a few seconds he was going to need some help. So he somehow made it past a few of the, a few of the first waves and was making his way up onto, onto his boogie board uh, when the inevitable happened. And uh, an eight foot wave just came crashing down on top of him. And he disappeared under the surf and I'm still trying to make my way towards this man. And, and It seemed like a minute that he was underwater, I'm sure it was just a few seconds, Um, and he reappears farther than the surf, and I continue to make my way to him to try to help him, and um, just about when he's about to get his his footing, he's literally like hanging on the boogie board sideways, Uh, just about, he's about to get his footing, another eight-foot wave just rains on top of him, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is critical, this is bad, and just as in, if you were to take, and like, just a head headfirst leap down steps and just tumble down steps, you know, I saw him appear and in the surf again, and he was tumbling down towards the deeper water as these strong waves brought him into the, back into the ocean, and I was able to get him right at the last second from behind and grab him and give him some port and help him, and right when I grabbed him, literally within the same second, another wave hit us, and. Both of us together were able to be able to stand up and not fall from that wave, and we were able to make it safe, safely to shore. I was glad that I was there at that time and period in life because as one of my kids, as we were remembering this story yesterday, as with one of my, one of my boys, he said, that, that man would have not lived. Um, I, I was glad that that day I chose to act. Uh, there was no double guessing or wondering, questioning in that moment. That moment I I saw a need, and I decided to try to help in that way. Before the mass shootings of Sandy Hook, Virginia Tech, and Columbine, there almost could have been Rapid City had it not been for the swift act of senior Chris Erick's. On September the 11th, 1991, 17-year-old Ryan Harris entered Stevens High School in Rapid City, South Dakota, and walked into his math class and demanded the teacher to leave and held 22 of his, of his classmates hostage with a sawed-off shotgun. For the next four hours, Ryan made demands over the loudspeaker at the school for pizza, for cigarettes, and for a million dollars, and for an escape helicopter. Um, and every single time he made a demand, he let his shotgun go, and letting everybody know he had plenty of ammunition. And he was willing to use it. For one split second, Ryan decided to put down his gun. And at that point, Chris Ericks lunged for it. And for a brief moment, there was a tug of war, and Chris was able to wrestle that gun from Ryan and overpower him. That day, in a split decision, Chris Ericks decided to act. If time allowed, you're probably all sitting here, and we could, sh- we could-, we could share stories of times in which maybe in your life, you we're at a place where you are compelled to act. You are compelled to do something. And maybe it's not saving somebody's life, you know, a newsreel clip, or maybe it's not um, doing something out in public and open, but maybe it's just coming up and putting your arm around somebody that you know is hurting and grieving and you put your arm around them and you feel compelled to act just to be with them. Or maybe to say you're compelled in your spirit to say something, some kind word to build somebody up and to act in that. We can probably all relate to times in our life in which we have felt strongly that we needed to act and step up. This morning is going to be a time in which we look at Judges chapter 5 and hopefully an encouraging time to understand that when I act in faith, God shows up. Now, God doesn't always show up in a clear, present way. He doesn't always come in and save the day. But often when we look back in our, in our lives, and sometimes it's just looking back and reflecting, we can see that when I act in faith, God will often show up in my life. So far this summer, we've been in a series entitled Never Forget, looking at the book of Judges. In chapter 1, we learned how Israel gradually became complacent and stopped obeying God's instructions in their lives. And the consequences they had to deal with because of that. In chapter 2, Israel forgot to put God first in their lives. And they struggled with being distracted with little gods or little idols of this world. And God allowed them to struggle with second best. And God allowed them to struggle with times of, of, of difficulties. And the consequences of having a wayward heart. Chapter 3, Jeremy shared with us how God never gives up on his children but is always close by. And last week, John in chapter 4 challenged us that God wants us or God wants to use willing people. This morning we're going to look at Judges chapter 5 which is a continuation of Judges chapter 4. Judges 4 gave the gory, detailed narrative of a battle. It gave... gave, um, all the details of what happened in mean, chapter 5 is very different. Chapter 5 is a song slash poem, which is very difficult for me. I have to be honest with you. Very difficult for me, a song slash poem. I'm a gory details, Jason Bourne, Braveheart type of guy. I like that type of stuff. To sit and share poems and songs with each other, not quite what I enjoy doing. Uh, it's uh, it's it's something that's been stretching for me to look at this and to wrestle with it. I'll give you an example of a time in which I wrestled with something. I, I you know I was not fit in the right box. A few years ago, my daughter and I decided, you know, she had requested, I believe, um, that we go to an event called uh, Princesses on Ice by Disney. Right. Uh, so we went to this Disney on Ice by, by, by uh, Disney uh, Princesses on Ice by Disney, and I was excited to go with her. It was up in Reading at the uh, you know Santana Arena, and 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 until I showed up, and I looked around me, and it was me and Kalen, and then it was girls and moms, and I was the only dude around. I felt so out of out of place. I was like, really, this is stretching. But it was good for me. It was good to be in that spot where I could make that memory and enjoy that time with my daughter. It was stretching for me, and, and studying poems and songs in, in Judges chapter five is stretching for us. Sometimes it's hard to understand. Sometimes it's hard to follow. But if you have your Bible and if you like to follow along, uh, it's on it's in chapter. Uh, I'm sorry, page uh, 193. Or you can just follow along on the screen. We're gonna have all of the verses here up on the the screen. Chapter 5 is a victory celebration. It's a song of remembrance and an excellent way to preserve the story so that future generations could remember what God did. You know, in this chapter, chapter 4 and chapter 5, it talks about people stepping up. It talks about people being willing, stepping up by faith, and then watching God do an amazing work. The first few times I read this chapter, I had no idea how to understand it. So let's give a little bit of framework. I'm going to put, actually, it all up on the screen here, and you can kind of see how the chapter evolves, okay? So number, first we see the prelude, the introduction, verses 1 through 3, and then we see the, through verses 4 through 5. talks about the coming of God, the divine warrior. And then we see the conditions before battle, what, what life was like for those 20 years under this oppression in verses 6 through 8. And then we see Deborah's call to participate in battle in verses 9 through 13. And then how the tribes of Israel responded, some awesome, some not so good, in verses 14 through 18. And then the battle itself is in verses 19 through 23, and the death of Sisera, verses 24 through 27. And then we see a glimpse of what Sisera was really like through the words of his mom and his mom's friends in verses 28 through 30, and then the conclusion of the chapter in verse 31. So let's begin in verse 1. The Bible says, On that day Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. So Deborah, the judge, and Barak, the winning military leader, are the ones singing. They're the ones that are going to bring melody and bring this To us, in verse two, it says, "When the princes, when the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord." And the leaders took the lead. And we need leaders today—men and women—to stand up and say, as the apostle Paul did, "Follow me as I follow Christ." We see that people were willing to offer themselves. The people were willing to offer some themselves. They were willing to act. They were willing to step up. Just like in Judges 5, we need courageous Christians to step out in faith. Cave dwelling, basement hiding Christians no more. Culture will not cast me into hiding, and that's what culture wants to do as a Christian. They want to try to silence our faith. They want to silence our beliefs. They don't want to have any patience for it. And we, as Christians, should remember the words in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Every day I want to live out my faith by God's grace and through His strength to make a difference for Him. And it takes me having to act in faith so we see that here in judges chapter 5 verse 2 that the leaders were willing to lead the people were willing to work they were willing and we see in verse 3 hear this you kings listen you rulers i even i will sing to the lord i will praise the lord the god of israel in song so they say listen up everybody this is who i'm singing to This is who gets the credit. God gets the credit for this. Bless the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Do you know that there's another victory song in the Old Testament? Moses wrote it in Exodus chapter 15. He wrote this song after the Israelites were chased by the Egyptians across the Sinai Peninsula and they came to the Red Sea And God did this amazing work. You know, they came to the Red Sea and said, hmm. And God said, step out. And God parted those waters and did an amazing work as those Israelites by faith. Can you imagine walking through that? Mountains of water on both sides saying, oh my word, God, you are awesome. But it took faith. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 1 says, and Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider, he hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Do you see how personal this is? My strength, my song, my salvation, my God. I will praise him. I find it interesting that in the song of Moses and the song of Deborah, they make sure they start the song by praising God for what he did and how he provided. Looking at, chapter, at verse, verses 4 and 5, it says, When you, Lord, went out from Sierra, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai. Before the Lord, the God of Israel. So remember, this is the part where it's talking about God coming, the divine warrior coming. The song is remembering how God showed up. It says, The earth trembled. The heavens and the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord. So remember these two verses, verses 4 and 5. They're clues as to how the battle was won when we look at it in verses nineteen through twenty one later on. Have you ever watched a sporting event when the home team was winning and they played a song towards the end of the game to rub in their victory to the opposing team? I don't know about you, but if you're a home if it's your home team, you love it, right? You love that little dig as the other as the other as the opponents you know listening to it right if you're on the other side of it though it's not so fun i had the opportunity to play soccer in college and one of the teams that we played each season liked to play the following songs after each time they beat us at home so let's listen to it How does that make you feel? Pretty low, huh? You know, every time that song comes up, it happened 20, 25 years ago, but every time that song comes up, that's what I remember. I remember the game ending, me walking through the line, shaking the hand while this blared on the loudspeakers. It was awful. It was demoralizing. I felt like such a loser. It made me want to, like, kick something, you know? It made me frustrated. It was embarrassing. And what we see here in verses 6 through 8 in, in Judges chapter 5 is we see a demoralized, sad group of people. For 20 years, they've been the losers. For 20 years, they've been struggling. And we see here, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel... Would not fight, they held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, O mother of Israel. God chose new leaders when more came to the city gates, but not as a shield or spear was seen among forty thousand in Israel. And so we see for twenty years the people of Israel were under the cruel oppression of Sisera and his army. No one was on the highways. Everybody was taking the animal trails. Normal life ceased. Sister was brutal. And just like the song by Queen that we just listened to, everybody was demoralized, sad, and fearful. Because Israel chose new gods, war came to the city gates. Under idol worship, God allowed Israel to fall under oppression. But Israel also faced internal social decay. This village life ceasing meant it was every family, even every man for himself. But we see here in verse 7, we see that Deborah decided to act. It says here, she decided to, to rise up. I rose up a mother in Israel to defend her children. We've all heard the term mother bear, right? A mom who um, gets upset about something and then... Rises up to defend her child, right? You know, a few nights ago, uh, Krista and I took the kids with their cousins to Beringers. We love Beringers. Beringers is a great place. You probably all do too, right? And uh, we—it's my policy that when I take the kids there for uh, ice cream, I normally get one scoop. Uh, Dad pays for one scoop, and often they'll say, "Hey, can we if can we get more if we pay for it?" And so on Thursday, I said, "Yeah, sure." Uh, you can you can pay more if you want to get more ice cream, or in this case, they really wanted to have milkshakes. So our boys uh, upgraded a dollar more for milkshakes, and you know stood in line for for some time. And when we got uh, when we sat down, uh, my son Drew uh, was sitting there at the table, and he was just kind of disappointed. He's like, "My milkshake doesn't taste very good. It's really watery." And as, far as a dad, you can probably you know guys relate. I thought to myself. Win some loose sun, son. <laughs> Life is full of disappointments. Go, get used to it, right? I'm sitting in there thinking, I just got my uh, ice cream. I'm not going to get up and go get a new one for you. Uh... And Krista on the other side is, this poor guy, he just spent a dollar of his hard-earned money and he has a watered-down milkshake. And so we looked at each other a few times and we... and uh, i'm enjoying my ice cream i'm not getting up son (laughs) if you want to advocate for yourself go for it and krista bless her heart she said you know what i'm gonna go say something and she took that milkshake and she walked into Behringer's and she said hey guys this milkshake is probably not the best one you've made all night it's pretty watery would you do something about it and you know what Beringer's is great you know they are right Behringer said absolutely no problem they made this thick creamy milk awesome milkshake and you know what else they did they said, you know what the one we didn't do a real good job you can keep that one too and so drew's like yeah double fist and awesome (laughs) right we can relate ladies you can relate to deborah coming to the place where you're like enough's enough 20 years of this 20 years of this enough is enough if no none of you dudes are going to stand up I will. It's time. And that's what we see here. We see Deborah standing up, acting in faith. I'm sure it took tremendous courage for her to step up and say, come on, guys. She was able to get Barak on her side, the general. And we see here now in verses 9 through 13, we see the call of the people. So let's see it here. It says, my heart, this is Deborah speaking, my heart is with Israel's princesses. I'm with you. I'm with the, vil- the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord. They recite the victories of like in Exodus 15 of Moses' song, right? Remember, what God has done, the victories of the villages of his, uh, of his villages in Israel. Then the people of the Lord, they responded. They went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up. Break out in song. Arise, Barak. Take captive your captives, son of Abinoam. The remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. And so what we see here is we see the call to participate. Deborah pours out her heart. She calls for help. Barak then gathers the troops, said, God can do this. Turn to him. Have faith in him. And the people respond, and they say, okay, we're going to respond in faith, and we're going to get ready for battle. And so then we see that not all all of Israel responded the right way. In verse 14, some did. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek, Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Maker, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling of the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives, and so did Naphtali on the terrace fields. And so we see here, not all Israel rallied to the call. Ephraim, Benjamin, and Issachar, they did. Reuben didn't. He carried on watching the sheep. Gilead, Dan, and Asher, they decided not to join. The greatest honor, though, goes to Zebulun and Naphtali, who they risked their lives on the terrace fields. They risked all they had for this fight. And so in verse 9, we see the fight begin. The battle begins in verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 19. Kings came. They fought. The kings of Cana fought. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they took no plunder of silver. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul. Be strong. Then the thundering, the horse's hooves galloping. Galloping goes his mighty steeds. Curse, Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. So this is... This is a song, right? You know, they're singing this song, so it's a little difficult to read it. I won't sing it for you. Uh, but here's what they're basically saying, okay? In verse 19, the king of Canaan came to fight. Sisera's 900 chariots that John talked about last week, this destruction force that, that was super protected, could not beat it, came to fight. But they won no plunder because they had no victory. The God, in verse 20, we see the God who rules nature, even the stars, was fighting against them. The God of heaven who made the clouds pour down water caused the Kishon River to flood and sweep the enemy army away. We read in chapter 4 that Barak and his men pursued this army and not one of Sisera's men got away from the sword or was killed. And so what we saw in in verses 4 and 5 is what we suppose is this battle was probably done during a time in which it was dry in Israel. If you know Israel, Israel is desert. And likely, Sisera was not ready or thinking that there was going to be any type of rain. You know, rain really only starts in Israel in December and goes through February, and it's pretty much dry the rest of the year. And what they call rivers for most of the year are nothing but just River beds. But when the rain does come in Israel, when the rain does come, like maybe what we saw yesterday in yesterday's storm, we saw some real fast flooding, didn't we? Now, you think about it, when there's no vegetation or very little vegetation, there's very little places for the water to be absorbed. What happens is these rivers just fill up quickly and become dangerous torrents. And that's what we think happened here. We believe that God sent an unexpected thunderstorm, thunderclap, to take care of Sisera's army. And we see, later on, we see that this uh, the house, Sisera, Sisera somehow survives. He sees his men going this way, and he abandons them, and he runs the other way. And we see the thundering horses, who's galloping, 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 go his strong steeds. It's talking about Israel pursuing after Sisera. You may wonder, what is Muraz? Why is Muraz... Being cursed so strongly by an angel of the Lord, well, Maras was most likely a village that was on the escape route of Sisera, and they decided not to act. They decided to watch him go and let him escape. And so we see the battle. The battle. God steps in in a miraculous way. He he fights for Israel, and they have an amazing victory. And Sisera is still living. So in verse 24. Deborah blesses Jael. Most blessed woman, woman be Jael, the wife of Heber the Canaanite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, Sisera, and she gave him milk in a bowl fit for nobles. She brought him curdled milk. You know, the thought is that he might have been on the run for up to three days. And so this is probably not something that, you know, he just you know, ran down the, down a block and hid in a tent, right? This is something he had been on, most likely been on a run and was exhausted and she took care of him her hand reached for the tent bag her right hand for the workman's hammer she struck Sisera she crushed his head she shattered and pierced his temple at her feet he sank he fell there he lay at her feet he sank he fell where he sank there he fell dead and so we see the story, we see what Jael did. She was, she's called by, by Deborah, most blessed of women, a lowly tent-dwelling woman, a nomad. Jael not, was not an Israelite. She's not on the team of Israel. She was a Canaanite woman that Sisera found refuge in, most likely because the Canaanites and the Canaanites had some type of truce and pact. Hiding in a woman's tent was clever, men and women, that time had different tents. So hiding in a woman's tent was clever. But Jael seized on the opportunity to kill Sisera. Why? What caused Jael to take Sisera's life? I believe that the answer can probably be found in what we see in the coming verses. So in verse 28, this pictures Deborah Deborah's picturing what Sisera's wife, uh, Sisera's mom is probably. Talking about it says through the window peered Cicera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariot delayed? The wisest of her lady friends with her answered, Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils, a woman or two for each man? Colorful garments as plunder for Sisera colourful colorful garments embroidered, high and em- Highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this is plunder? Deborah pictures Sisera's mother and her ladies-in-waiting looking for him to return victorious. We learn here that Sisera's normal practice is not only to take the spoils of war, but to steal, rape, and enslave the women that they conquer. Most likely for 20 years they had been under this type of oppression. After making the lives of many women hellish nightmares, it's two women who bring him down. There's a great irony that a man who used women as objects is killed by a womanly object. In the last verse of this chapter, the conclusion in verse 31 says, So many of your enemies perish, Lord, but But may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. So as we conclude this morning, what can we take away from Judges chapter 5? You may be here this morning and saying to yourself, Tim, I've been waiting for God to show up for a long time in my life. My words of encouragement to you are, ask God to show up in your life. Sometimes silence on God's part is part of him refining and is part of our growing process as Christians. In the parable of the prodigal son, the son had to move towards the father as the father waited and scanned the horizon. The father was waiting and watching And as he saw his son appear on the horizon, what did the father do? He ran to his son. Humbly ask God, God, would you show up in my life? As I step out in faith, can you make yourself real to me? Confidently then take a stand for him and wait on him. Take time to pray and to be in his word. You know, sometimes... God can show up in a message. Sometimes God can show up in a miraculous event. You know, over the last few years of my life, I've seen God show up in different ways. I've I've seen God show up in my life in the words and counsel of godly friends. I've seen God show up in my life in a worship song that's played on the radio or here at church. I've had God show up uh, just being in creation and taking time to be quiet and meditate and listen. You know, God wants to show up. So listen carefully. I think it boils down to a call for us as believers to not be weary in well-doing. No matter our age, no, no matter our place in life, to not be weary, to keep going, to not be casual Christians who are content with status quo. To remember our journey and where God has brought us and now he has provided for us. To be burdened for those around us that need to hear the good news of the gospel. To live lives of faithful devotion to God so our testimony encourages other Christians to keep going on. You know, our church culture here at Calico is really important. One of the things I love about our church is we have a, a church that encourages and builds up and edifies each other. You know, I have made such great progress in my personal life here at Cocalico, being able to feel safe and cared for and loved in this culture, and I really appreciate that. It takes steps of faith, doesn't it? It takes it, it takes us having having to say, you know what? I'm not I'm not okay with where I'm at right here. I'm moving to God. God, show up. God has and is doing some special things here at Cocalico, and he asks that we continue to move forward and to act in faith. I believe that when we act in faith, we get to see God show up in our lives, sometimes in a quiet way, that speak to our souls, and other times in very amazing ways that we can see visually and experience. You know, the Bible's full of examples of men and women that acted in faith, And God showed up in amazing ways. By faith, Noah built an ark, right? And God showed up. By faith, Abraham was tested by God to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And God showed up. By faith, Moses led the Israelites, as we mentioned before, through the Sinai to the Red Sea, and God showed up. By faith, Daniel refused to pray to a pagan god and was thrown into a lion's den, and God showed up. By faith, David stood be- before a giant that was nine and a half feet tall, was a slaughtering machine, with, and David has a sling and five little pebbles in his hand, and God showed up. And here in Judges chapter 5, 4 and 5, we see, Deborah calling the troops under oppression for 20 years, brutal, cruel oppression for 20 years saying, by faith we're going to stand, by faith we're going to do something and God showed up. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 offers some encouraging words. It says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So we finish with a short prayer, prayerful question to God this morning, and it's this. God, will you give me the courage to act in faith, and will you show up in my life? Let's pray. Lord, that can be a scary question. To give me faith that I can take a bold stand for you, we like to be careful, people. We like to be cautious. We're self-sufficient, and we like to be in control. So stepping out in faith to live for you can be a tough thing to do. But would you give us the faith to believe the promises of your word, and would you use us as a church to, to do great things for you? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.